Book three of the Psalms gives a sense of a community in disaster. It's possible that many of these Psalms were inspired by the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, God's people being exiled from the promised land, and the sinful state of Israel which brought about all these disasters. Psalm 75 is a warning for God's people to trust in God exclusively during these disasters and during all the time that leads up to them. We read in verses 6 through 7, For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. As Israel faced its aggressive neighbors, there was always the temptation to make political alliances with other pagan nations. When facing disaster, God's people made treaties at different times with Egypt or Syria, and were even open to talks with Babylon at one point. God's consistent instruction for his people, though, was to leave the nations to themselves. He would be the one to lead and protect them. But Israel's consistent behavior was to ignore God and run after other means of security. And this is a scenario that we often see in our own personal lives. Who do we trust to keep us safe and secure? We can find comfort in the nation that we live in, how big our bank account is, our retirement, our family, or any other safety net that we've set up. Now, certainly God gives us many of these things himself, but we foolishly let these external factors give us too great a comfort or far too much distress. If we're losing sleep over the presidential elections, or the stock market gives us constant anxiety, or if we give anything so much power to dominate our emotions, then we've likely turned them into idols above God. So here's how this psalm helps us keep our dependence on God instead. First, Asaph keeps God's name near by recounting his wondrous deeds. For Israel, this would have been the countless times that God had rescued his people from the power of other nations. The Exodus would be the most prominent, but Israel had countless other battles to remember God's saving power. We would do well to remember all of what God has done for us. Think back on any other different disaster, lean times, or conflicts that you've come through. Were any of them worse than what you face today? Yet here you are. By remembering what God has already done for us, we can face the next disaster with confidence in God's power to get us through it. Second, the psalm reminds us of God's authority. Verses 2 through 5 are framed as God speaking. He's the one who judges. He's the one who keeps the earth steady. He's the one who shames the proud and the wicked. And in verse 8, we're reminded of how God will use all of that authority. In the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. The cup of the Lord is a cup of judgment, and the wicked are going to get every last drop. We should remember that any power or authority that we take comfort in is subject to God's authority. So why have faith in the pretenders when we can go to the highest power there is? Psalm 76 continues this idea, and gives us even more confidence in God's power and authority. It's a victory song that features many military metaphors. All is good in the world as long as God triumphs and it's the world's king and judge. We're told that Salem, short for Jerusalem, and Zion are God's home. The nations who come up against him and his people, they have their weapons shattered. And verses 6 through 9 give us plenty of pictures of God as a warrior. No man of war can stand against him. Horsemen are thrown down at his rebuke. His judgment makes the whole earth stand still. 
And he does all of this, according to verse 9, in order to save all the humble of the earth. Verse 10 is a little bit tricky, and there are two main ways of translating it. Either we can see it as the Christian Standard Bible translates it, even human wrath will praise you. You will clothe yourself with the wrath that remains. Or, as in the net second edition, certainly your angry judgment upon men will bring you praise. You reveal your anger in full measure. So either God is seen as so mighty that even his enemies recognize him, or his judgment on his enemies will bring him praise from his people. Plenty of people don't like this description of God. We've seen the horrors of war in Ukraine and between Israel and Palestine recently. Does God really style himself as someone so violent? Isn't the New Testament ethic one of peace? Well, the fact remains that there is no peace until God's enemies are either reconciled or destroyed. And God is far more eager to make peace with his people, even by sacrificing his own son. But any power who chooses to live in rebellion against him is going to be defeated in such a way that all war will come to an end, because God's enemies are no more. So as we consider the struggles and the conflicts that we are swept up in, we need to remember that there's only one winner. Don't let God's enemies disturb you, because there's going to be a day when only God's people remain.